Good morning. Y'all all right today? I uh, hope y'all are doing all right. Let me, uh, let me before we jump into what we're going to talk about, first of all, weren't the little kids up here awesome? I love, that's one of my favorite things to see. And, um, and uh, we, one of the things about being a new church is we're fairly a young church as far as like our median age is, as the people here. And I want to thank y'all grandparents. You've brought up our median age today, some of you, by being here. We've got more grandparents here today than normal, which is awesome. We're glad that all of y'all are here. The room feels wiser already just by your, your presence here today. Um, but I love, one of the things I love about the little kids being up here is just the different reactions. You know, you got some like Zane who wanted to grab the mic and just do his own, you know, stand-up comedy routine. And then you got others who like are petrified that they're even up there. And, and uh, so it's, it's always funny to see how that works. But I um, want to let you know about uh, something happening next week if you're a partner. Now, uh, the folks that, that, uh, that are here at Freedom and they've decided to make this their home church, we don't call those folks members, we call them partners, and uh, we have partnership class that you go to, and, and that's, how you, uh, that's how you become a partner if you complete that and, and sign the covenant and all that. If you're a partner, uh, you, got an e- you should have gotten an email about that this week, and if you don't have any email, you should be getting like a card probably sometime in the next three weeks or something, and um, that's a joke, y'all, by the way, um, you know, for those people that don't use email. And, uh, but we're going to have a partnership meeting uh, here next week. Just uh, uh, We do this at end of every year. We're going to present the budget. Um, and just so you can look over that and know where the money's going, that kind of thing, uh, because we expect you to tithe when you're a partner. And so we want you to know where, how that money's being spent, that it's being used wisely. And also uh, we'll introduce one of our new elders uh, next Sunday as well. And uh, we currently have five elders. We're bringing on one new one next year, and, and you'll get to meet him uh, next Sunday, and, uh, and so that'll be just something you'll want to be here. That's immediately following the service, the 1030 service, okay? So, uh, so be here for that if you're a partner. All right, what we're going to talk about today is, is I, want you to, I want you to really pay attention and be on, on it with me, and, uh, and I told the band this this morning before we got started. I said, uh, you know, it's a little different today than sometimes because I don't have a lot of stories to go with today. I don't have a lot of little cute things, you know, to say and that kind of stuff. But I think what we're talking about is so vital to who we are, and it cuts to the core of who we are as human beings. We started a new series last week called Do You Hear What I Hear? And we're focusing on three different stories from the book of Matthew about people hearing about Jesus for the first time, people understanding the story about the birth of Jesus for the very first time. Last week we talked about Joseph. The, father, the, the earthly father of Jesus. And if you were here, you'll remember that for Joseph, hearing the story about Jesus was, was words of comfort for him. Even though he knew it was going to totally take his life in a direction he wasn't planning on it going, it was words of comfort for him. And, but the thing is, you know as well as I do, that in the world we live in, not everybody finds comfort in the story of Jesus. In fact, a lot of people are very hostile to the story of Jesus. And if you're here today, chances are uh, you're pretty positive about it. Even if you haven't committed your life to it yet, chances are you're pretty positive about the story of Jesus or you probably wouldn't be here at all today. Uh, There's a recently, it's been in the news in New York City, uh, there's been a couple of different groups of people that went together to put up a huge billboard in front of the Holland Tunnel. And this this is what the billboard looks like. It says, you know it's a myth, this season, celebrate reason. And it says, American atheists, reasonable since 1963. 
Now, that's and this is not fairy tale. This is this is a real billboard that's up right now in New York City, where thousands and thousands of people, one of the most congested areas of traffic areas of New York, thousands of people ride by and see that every day. And so it ought to be obvious to us that not everyone hears the story of Jesus and feels warm and fuzzy inside and looks forward to Christmas and all that kind of stuff. For some, they're very hostile towards it. And maybe if you're like me, that just kind of makes me, well, it doesn't kind of make me mad. It really makes me mad. You know, and I wanted to say, oh, yeah, this season celebrate going to hell because that's where you're going, you know, for putting up that billboard. I mean, just that's just personally, I, I get ticked off when I see that kind of stuff. And, uh, but I thought what was fun, one of, the, one of the ironic things about this is one of the groups that's responsible for putting up that billboard is called the Free Thought uh, Foundation. So they want you to think freely as long as you're not thinking freely about Jesus, evidently. And so we live in a world where not everyone, um, okay, you can go ahead and take that down. I don't want that thing up there behind me anymore. It's sapping my energy. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, we live in a world where not everybody feels great about who Jesus was. Well, it was no different in the book of Matthew. And today we're going to read a story about a guy who, when he heard the story about Jesus, for him, it was not words of comfort. In fact, for him, it was something that, that he didn't like one bit. And we're going to talk about a king named Herod. And, uh, and, and if you'll go ahead and, got, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. Scripture's going to be on the, on the screen. But Matthew chapter 2, Matthew's the very first book in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. And I'm going to read the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2. But we're going to talk about King Herod. And, and I want you today to understand that no matter where you are, if you're here just investigating who Jesus is, if you're here and you've been a follower of Jesus for years and years and years and you've committed your life to it, no matter where we are on the, on the, on the spectrum, we can all be more like King Herod than we want to admit. And so look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, of the story about King Herod and the Magi, or wise men, it might be how you know them. Starting with uh, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route. Now, one of the things that I think we can learn in this scripture 
and we can learn about who Herod was, but we can learn about ourselves is this. The truth of Jesus exposes who we really are. The truth of Jesus exposes who we really are. Now, if, as, you read that, uh, as you read that scripture there and, and you look at it, you might, wanna, you might say to yourself, man, isn't this a little bit of an overreaction here? Isn't Herod, you know, he's a big, powerful king and a baby's been born. A baby's been born and now he's all worried about it and, you know, trying to secretly find out information and lying to the Magi and all this kind of stuff. It, it, what's the deal with Herod? Isn't, isn't he overreacting? Well, to understand that, you need to understand a little about, about who Herod was. This is Herod who was proclaimed Herod the Great. Now, chances are he probably gave himself that nickname, you know, Herod the Great. Like, for instance, and, and he, he really wasn't great, so that's kind of how you know he gave it himself. Like, for instance, if I was going to give myself a nickname, it would be like Cliff the Breathtakingly Handsome, right? And that would, if I was going to nickname myself, because that's not really who I am, but if you're going to nickname yourself, it might as well be something good. And so this was Herod the Great. Now, if you know anything about Scripture, and, and if you read ahead in Scripture, you know that in the book of Luke, that right before Jesus is crucified, that in the book of Luke, that Jesus appears before Herod and, and at his trial. Different Herod. Okay, Understand, that's a different guy. This is Herod the Great. The Herod that Jesus appears at uh, later in his life is one of Herod's relatives that followed him. This Herod that Jesus is appearing in front of, uh, that, that the Magi come to now, this Herod is older, he's been in power for a good long while, and, and, uh, and so that's who he is. So why would he get so upset about the birth of a baby? Why would he be threatened by that? Well, what you need to understand about Herod is, is that Herod had an addiction. He wasn't addicted to, to alcohol or heroin or, or Vicodin or anything like that that people are addicted to today. Herod was addicted to something else that a lot of people are addicted to, but it's a little more acceptable addiction. Herod was addicted to power. He was so addicted to power that he would do anything and everything to, to get power and then once he had it, to hold on to it. What you need to know is, is that before Herod was king of the Jews, before he was in the position he was in now, is that uh, um, he wanted power so badly that he married the niece of one of the Roman rulers just so that he could be an heir to the throne. He married her niece. There was a little problem. He was already married. So what did he do? He took his current wife and his current son and he had them banished from the kingdom so that they could be gone and he would be free to marry this person that would allow him to be in power. And you think, man, that's, that's, that's a raw deal. He's banishing people from the kingdom just because he wants power. That was a lot better than what happened later in his life. You see, the woman that he married, once he got power, guess what he did to her when he, she started, uh, he started feeling like she was threatening his power? He had her executed. Not only did he have her executed, he had her mother executed, his mother-in-law. And I know some of y'all are thinking, well, Cliff, that's not really a crime now, is it? You know, some of you have got mother-in-laws coming in for, for uh, Christmas, and you're thinking, well, you know, Herod might have had a good idea there. But, um, but no, he had her mother-in-law. And then not only did he have the mother-in-law executed, he had his brother-in-law executed as well. And you think, man, that's, that's crazy. It gets worse. Herod had not one, not two, but three of his own sons executed. Anyone who posed any kind of threat to him, he would just have them killed because he was addicted to power and he would do anything and everything to hold on to that power. And so 
when in verse 2 of Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 2, when the Magi show up, look at it with me. It says this. The Magi show up and says, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? The Magi didn't realize this at the time. But when they used that term, king of the Jews, immediately Herod was threatened. In fact, the scripture says that he was disturbed. And that's a, that's a word that means that, that his soul inside was being stirred up. Because as soon as he heard it, wait a minute, there's a baby out there somewhere that's been born king of the Jews, but I'm king. And so immediately when they used that term, he felt threatened because he was insecure and he was addicted to power. And the other thing you need to know is, is that 30 to 40 years before this event, before the Magi showed up, Herod was actually elected king of the Jews. That was his title. It happened in the Roman Senate. Now, I don't know if he had to, uh, to, to campaign for it. I don't know if there was like another guy running. If it was, Herod probably had him killed, right? Because that's what he did. But whatever, whatever happened, somehow the Senate had an election. Who should be king of the Jews? Well, I nominate Herod the Great. Okay, all in favor say aye. And he was now considered king of the Jews. That was his official title. But there's a problem with that. Now, what's the problem with Herod being elected king of the Jews? You can't be elected king of the Jews. You can't be elected to something that was the title of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus hadn't shown up on earth in human form yet, and so when he came, he was the true king of the Jews. You can't be elected to a title that's not yours anyway. So Herod was a fraudulent king. It was kind of like, you remember when you were a little kid? And uh, you used to go in, in your parents' closet and put on their, their clothes and, and dress up. When I was a kid, my parents have a picture of me wearing my dad's shoes, sitting on the toilet, reading a paper, right? Here, I got a picture of it. So no, I'm just kidding. I don't have a picture of that. But there is a picture because I was imitating my dad. That's what my dad did, evidently, was sat on the toilet reading the paper, with his own shoes on, but I think he probably had more clothes on than I did when he did it, hopefully. And, uh, but, you know, so, but now here's the deal. When I was doing that, was I my dad just because I had my dad's shoes on? No. I couldn't feel my dad's shoes literally or figuratively. I couldn't do the things that my dad did for our family. I couldn't provide for our family. I couldn't be the protector of our household. I couldn't be the authority in our household. Those were the things that my dad was. But I could put on my dad's shoes and walk around and act like him when I was a little kid. This is just like a a little kid playing dress-up. Herod saying he's king of the Jews. He doesn't have the authority to be king of the Jews. It doesn't matter that the Roman government at that time was the most powerful government in the world. It doesn't matter that they said he was king of the Jews. There was a, a power more powerful than the Roman government, which was God Almighty, who said there's only one person who's king of the Jews. That's my son Jesus. And when he comes to the earth, he's going to be the true king of the Jews. So here was the deal. Herod, he, he's this power-hungry, insecure, fraudulent king. He, is, he has no business being king of the Jews. He has no business trying to hold on to that title. And so the story of Jesus, the reason it bothered him so much, the reason it got a hold of him in his heart was because it exposed who he really was. It exposed him as a fraud. 
when the, when the real king of the Jews showed up, he can't continue to act like he's king of the Jews. When, when the real king of the Jews showed up, he can't continue to act like he's the most powerful person in the land. When the real king of the Jews showed up, all of a sudden he realized, I'm addicted to something here that's not even mine to hold on to, that I don't have any control over. It exposed him for who he really was, which was a powerless, fraudulent king wearing his dad's clothes. And Here's, what, here's where it boils down to for us. The story of Jesus exposes us for who we really are as well. It cuts right through all that stuff that we put on the outside and we want people to think about us. It cuts through all that. It cuts through the bull. It cuts through the, 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 the talk that we use. It cuts through the, uh, any kind of facade that we put up. It cuts through any kind of image that we try to maintain. The story of Jesus, what we call the gospel, which means good news, the gospel, the story of Jesus, it exposes us for what we really are. If you don't believe it, you can look in the New Testament. There was a guy named Paul. He used to be called Saul, and, and, and Jesus changed his life and changed his name to Paul. Probably without argument, he was the greatest follower of Jesus who ever lived the greatest Christian who ever lived. He left Billy Graham and Mother Teresa in the dust with the things that he did. He was so great that he wrote most of the New Testament. You know, that, that's a pretty good guy. You know what he said about himself? You know what he said about himself when it came to what the story of Jesus did to him? 1 Timothy 1.15, he wrote this. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now, keep in mind, this was Paul who, before Jesus changed his life, he was self-righteous. He thought that he was better than anybody. He stood in judgment of other people. And then once he had the light literally shined into his life, once he was confronted with the story of Jesus, it exposed him. And he said, no, I don't have any right to be self-righteous because I am the worst of all sinners. Look what else he said, Romans 7.15. He said, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. The story of Jesus exposed Paul. It exposed him as a man who, even when he tries to do his best, he fails at it. And the only way, the only way that he can continue on trying to serve God is he's got to give everything up and give it over to him. And it exposes us as the same kind of people. We can act like we've got it all together. I can stand up here on stage and some of you look at me and you think that me and my wife never get in a fight. You think that I don't ever cuss at anybody. You think that I only feel love in my heart for everybody. But it, the story of Jesus exposes me just like it exposes you. It exposes me as being selfish and self-centered and, and, and wanting the worst to happen to other people. Sometimes it exposes all of us that way because the story of Jesus cuts through everything else and it did that to Herod. And it does that to us. You see, a lot of us, we're trying to hold on to titles that aren't ours to begin with. Just like Herod was trying to hold on to the title of King of the Jews. We're trying to hold on to some titles that we've obtained fraudulently. But they're not ours. So the question for us is, how are we going to react? How are we going to react when the story of Jesus exposes us? How did Herod react? Well, Herod overreacted. So the question for us is, how far will you go to protect what you have when the story of Jesus exposes you? How far will you go to protect what you have when the story of Jesus exposes you? Look at what Herod did. Look at verse 8 of Matthew chapter 2. The first thing Herod did was he lied. 
He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now we know that's not true. He had no intention of going and worshiping any baby because he thought he was the rightful king of the Jews. He wasn't going to go worship a baby. We already know that it said earlier that he was disturbed by this. And then we know that in verse 12 that an angel appeared to Joseph and said, Don't go back there. Don't go back there because Herod wants to do him in. Now look at verse 16. Let's look at how far Herod went when the story of Jesus exposed him. Verse 16 says this, When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Herod went so far in his attempt to protect what wasn't rightly his. He went so far, once he had been exposed by the story of Jesus, that he would even kill babies. Now for Herod, that was just another day of the week. He had people killed all the time. But it was another indication that he was an insecure, power-hungry, fraudulent king, and that the gospel of Jesus had exposed that and brought that out into the open. Now, I don't know anybody who's killed babies to avoid being exposed by the story of Jesus. I've never killed babies to avoid being exposed by the story of Jesus. But you know what I have done? I've, I've wanted the worst to happen to other people before. I've, I've reacted in anger to people before. I've been so insecure and so paralyzed by fear by what other people thought about me that I wouldn't even act before because of because of what had happened. That's how the story of Jesus exposes me. It opens me up. And, and, and the things that I will do to, when I'm running away from the, the story of Jesus, when I'm moving away from the gospel, and I'm moving into the area of selfishness, that's what comes out. I know, I know friends, I've got one friend, that he went so far to hold on to what he had, that, that, that what he had was an adulterous affair. And he went so far to hold on to that that he gave up his wife and he gave up his three kids and he gave up his job all to hold on to something that he could never hold on to to begin with. I've got another friend that, that he went so far to hold on to his addiction to prescription drugs that he gave up his wife and his two kids and two jobs and he gave up the, the, uh, the standing that he had in his whole community and his whole town only to hold on to something that he could never hold on to to begin with. And see, the story of Jesus exposes all of that. It exposes our addictions. It exposes our selfishness. It exposes all of our sin. It's exactly what the story of Jesus does. And it did that to King Herod. And it still does that to us today. Now, here's the sad thing about what I told you about myself and what I told you about my two friends. The, I mean, these, are guys, these aren't guys that I heard about out in California or something. These are guys that I knew, that I hung out with, that I had lunches with, that I went to school with, that I spent time with, went on trips with. These were the kind of guys they were. And I never saw it coming. And both of them and me, we're all followers of Jesus. So if it can happen to us as followers of Jesus that we would, we would sometimes give up the good things to hold on to something that we can't hold on to, then of course it's happening in those people's lives that don't know Jesus. They're running from Him. They're doing all they can to get away from the story of Jesus because it's exposing them for who they are. And once they get too close, they come to church and they hear a message or they read the Bible and, and they start reading it. They start getting too close to the story of Jesus. They, they don't like what they see in themselves and they want to run away. 
And maybe that happens in your own life. Maybe there's been times when you feel like you're, you're growing, you're getting closer, then all of a sudden you find yourself pulling back and you don't really understand why you're doing it. And the reason why is because the more Scripture you read, you say, man, my life doesn't look anything like this. I read in the book of Acts what the New Testament church looks like. That doesn't look like my church or me, what I do in my church. I, I read in, the, I read in the, the Gospels and I read the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talked about how we're supposed to live for Him. And I'm so far away from that and we want to get away from it because the story of Jesus exposes us for who we really are. And just like Herod, a lot of times, you and me, we are fraudulent, insecure people. We say we're followers of Jesus, but we fall so, so short. We act like we got it all together to those who are around us, but inside, we're so insecure. So I guess what we need to think about today is that Herod went to great lengths to hold on to something he couldn't hold on to. What title are you holding on to today? Herod went to great lengths to hold on to a fraudulent title called King of the Jews. Sometimes I'll go to great lengths to hold on to a title called King of Cliff's Life. And I think I'm the king. And I get to decide where my money goes. And I get to decide what I do with my free time. And I get to decide what my family should do. And I get to decide when my feelings have been hurt, how I should react. And I get to decide who's right and who's wrong. That's the title I try to hold on to. What title do you try to hold on to? You try to hold on to the title of, of your king of your life? Insert your own name. You just, you just try to hold on to the title of king of your business. You own your own business and you think, man, I started it, sweat of my own brow. I get to make the decisions around here. You're trying to hold on to that? What are you trying to hold on to? Because the story of Jesus exposes all of us as being unworthy to hold on to any of that stuff. And when we come to Christ, we can't come to Christ saying, I believe in you. You died on the cross, I believe you died for me, and I want my sins forgiven, but I'm going to hold on to my job. Or I'm going to hold on to my family. I'm going to hold on to my checkbook because I'm the king of those things. If we do that, we're no different than Herod was. We're no different because we're still saying we want to be the king. But the king of kings came to earth. The king of kings was born in a stable, in a manger, the King of Kings died on a cross for you and for me. The King of Kings didn't stay dead, but he came back to life from the grave. And the King of Kings is still alive and wanting to work in your heart and my heart if we will get out of the way and let him do it. It's a matter of us saying, Jesus, you've exposed me. I admit I sin. I admit I'm fraudulent. I admit that I'm selfish and messed up. You've exposed me. Now, please transform me. And the scripture says he will. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and clean us up from all unrighteousness. All we've got to do is open up our hearts and ask. Lay down our false title and allow the king of kings to become king of our life. I want you to bow your heads. Now, while you got your heads bowed, I'm going to still talk to you for a minute, so don't lose me. There are two groups of people in this auditorium. There's two groups of people in the world. 
those who have been transformed by Jesus and are following Him the best that they can and those who have yet to do that. Only you and God know where you stand. I'm not qualified to make that judgment. But if you are here today and you would say, I've never given my life to Christ. I've never turned that over. I've never given up the king, the title of king of my life and given it to the king of kings. You can pray a prayer where you say what I said a while ago. You tell Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm messed up. I believe you died on the cross for those sins. And I want to make you the king of my life instead of me being the king of my life. You can pray that. And the scripture tells us that he will do that and you will become a follower of him. Now there's those of you here that are already a follower of him. But you are still tempted day after day to pick that title up of king of your life and put the crown on your head and try to walk around and make your own decisions and do things the way you see best. And you know that every time you do it, that it never works out like you want it to. And so if you're already a follower of him, you can pray today and every day, Jesus, you're the king of kings, and I want you to be the king of my life. So I'm going to pray for us. And if you have never made that commitment to Christ, you can pray that prayer I just told you. You don't have to have me pray it for you. But if you do, I want you to come tell me. I want to know about that so that we can help you take those next steps. If you're already a follower of Jesus, I want you to share with us how your life's going to be different once you say, I want you to be the king of kings and not me anymore. So I'm going to pray. As I pray, the band's going to come up and we're going to close with a song after I'm done praying. Father God, I thank you that the story of a insecure, power-hungry king that lived 2,000 years ago can still speak so much truth to us today. Because God, we're really no different than Herod who called himself Herod the Great. Lord, I know that I'm, I'm insecure and, and uh, I'm selfish just as he was. I want to hold on to power just as he did. And Lord, I know that we have a room full of people who would say the same thing. That whatever they struggle with, that they want to hold on to that. And so God, I pray for myself for everybody on this stage with me, for everyone in this auditorium, that all of us would give up our rights to our lives, that we would allow you to be who you really are, which is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that we would allow you to take over our lives and for us to get out of your way and let you transform us into the men, the women, the teenagers that you want us to be. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.